0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now have uh, the scripture reading, and uh, I'll invite our sister, Aisin, who will come out to read to us the passage for today. Good morning. Today's passage is taken from 1 Kings chapter 3, the entire chapter. If you're using the Bibles in the church, please turn to page 337, and we'll continue to page 3:38. I'll begin reading First Kings chapter three, verse one. Solomon asked for freedom, uh, for wisdom. Solomon made an alliance with the Pharaoh with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the lord and the wall around jerusalem the people however were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the lord solomon showed his love for the lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court, a wise ruling. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, This woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. So they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king and he then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe, because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is God's word.
1: Thank you for reading today's passage for us, and a very good morning to all of us. Good morning. It's always a privilege to be with god's people looking at god's word so if you are here with me can i invite you to open up god's word uh, if you have the physical bible around you you can turn to the church bible It's page 337 337 ask god to help us let's pray oh heavenly father we gather before you knowing that you are a great god And you, in all your wisdom, created this universe and you created us. So you knew us from our innermost being. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit speak to us as we open up your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's a question for all of us. If you were given a single wish that would definitely come true, what would you wish for? If you've got one wish that will definitely come true, what would you wish for? I want to give us like 30 seconds, look at the person next to you and tell them if you've got that one wish, what would you wish for? Don't say more sleep, something else, okay? So look at the person next to you, if you've got one wish, what would you wish for? What would you wish for? Got this one wish. All right, great. During morning tea, you can share a bit more. What, what do you share with each other later on, it'll be, it'll be fun. Now, what do people say when they were given this question? Let me give you a few of what some people say. A Person say, "If I one wish, I'll ask for three more wishes, so my wish never end." If I one wish, I'll wish money really grow on trees, but really only on my tree, so I don't mess with the economy. I wish someday we'll put an end to war, poverty, starvation, and if somehow we have one more wish, I'll wish for world peace. Well, I'm not suicidal, but if I had one wish, I will wish to be happy. I wish to be 100% healthy. Someone says, I wish there were no consequence to anything in my life. I wish all spiders would just die, there's no use for them. <laughs> I wish just by looking at the treadmill, I would lose weight. Dear friends, what would you wish for if you have that one wish? And why do you wish for that? In today's passage, we hear God asking Solomon this very question. In chapter 3 verse 5, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now before we hear this great exchange between the Lord and Solomon, we need to first unpack the context of where this passage leads to and why Solomon actually got this answer from the Lord or this offer from the Lord. So today I want to invite you to look at 1st Kings chapter 3 and chapter 4. Now last week we learned of David resting with his ancestors after handing the throne to Solomon. We read the very last verse of chapter 2. It says the kingdom was now established in solomon's hands however today as we enter this new chapter or amazing chapter we are given a very surprising reintroduction of solomon and look at verse one with me look at verse one with me chapter three verse one solomon made an alliance with pharaoh king of egypt and married his daughter. Such a strange introduction and a really really strange one. How should we understand this reintroduction of Solomon as king? Well it's a really complex introduction here because on one hand when you read this as a first reader you you are supposed to recognize that the Lord has blessed Israel greatly In fact they are so great that Israel was no longer this unknown nation it has elevated to this international status that the the nations around are watching them even Egypt Israelites were once slaves in Egypt they have now become equals with the Egyptians marriage alliances between nations back then were really political norms in the ancient world and verse one is this loud declaration that peace and goodwill have been established in Israel through this alliance with the great nation of Egypt because Israel has become strong. However, on the other hand, the Jewish readers with a historical background would sit uncomfortably with this introduction because it looked promising from the political front. But it looks cautiously worrying from the spiritual end. We would be reminded seven times in the next few chapters, from 6 to 9, that God rescued Israel from Egypt. God rescued Israel from Egypt. God rescued Israel from Egypt. And this is the introduction that they got together. Now, later on, we will also read how Solomon, he would start buying horses and chariots from Egypt at a very hefty price against the warning of the law of Moses. While we may argue that really such marriages are expected politically for kings, the author gave a more somber view of Solomon in the later chapters, especially chapter 11, when marrying foreign women were no longer just a political thing. Look at what happens later on. 11 verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts from after their gods. So Solomon's love for married foreign women in the end will be one of his great So here the introduction of Egypt and Pharaoh's daughter as wife made this kind of a complex introduction. Now the second complexity that comes right at this very few verses of introduction is this, is the introduction of sacrifices at high places both by God's people and by God's king. Now here's what we know about high places so far in the Bible, before the days of the kings, the days of the judges and so on, the Lord had commanded the Israelites that you destroy high places used for idolatry. In one instance, Moses said this, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worships their God. Now to be fair, there were occasions where the high places were used by God's people to worship him. In fact, Samuel had built altars on high places for sacrifices. So what do we make of it here as an introduction of Solomon? Well, if you look at verse 2 and 3 again in your Bible in front of you, you can sense this feel of ambiguity and uncertainty. It, it seems right. It seems cautiously dangerous. Now at this point of Solomon's kingship, it seems to suggest at least that the high places were used to make sacrifice to the Lord just like Samuel's days. Because verse 2, the temple had not yet been built. So it is a temporary practice. The looming question really comes in this introduction is whether Solomon, he will eventually destroy the high places when the temple is being built. Because this is what Moses gave again. Remember the laws of Moses. This is what Moses gave them in Deuteronomy 12, verse 10 to 14. Let me read part of it for us. This is pointing to the future which they are now in, the promised land. When He, the Lord, gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord, your God, will choose to make His name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you. It goes on, take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose. So here are the two complexities that were being introduced right smack at the start. But the author doesn't dwell on this because they quickly, or he quickly moves to the start of Solomon's kingship with verse 3, that Solomon really does love the Lord. As his father taught him, that loving the Lord equals walking in obedience to the Lord, and that's what Solomon did. So Solomon showed his love by walking according to the instructions given by his father, David, back in chapter 2. Except that he offered sacrifices and learned incense in high places. Now, it is important to see verse 3 that King Solomon really loved the Lord and walked in obedience. And at the same time, we are reminded back in the book of Samuel, Samuel chapter uh, 2 Samuel 12, that the Lord first loved Solomon. So there is this love of Solomon for the king, but uh, love of Solomon for the Lord, but the Lord first loved Solomon and gave him the name Jedediah. So, it is in this context that we have that God appeared to Solomon and offered him a wish. Look at verse 4 and verse 5 as I read it for us. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, Gibeon, Gibeon was the most important high place. Perhaps the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar were previously at Gibeon. Well, that's the record of 1 Chronicles 21. At Gibeon, what we are being told is that the king expressed his love for the Lord by this humongous burn offerings on the altar and it was during this trip that the lord appeared to solomon offering him this promise what do you wish for me to give you solomon now it's really not a random offer that it comes by and then you start thinking what do you want but god was more like a father to solomon without sounding it too dramatic it is almost like this that solomon has become like an orphan who has been given this great kingdom and this great promise, and then his father died. So God has come to be his father because the Lord loved David, the Lord loved Solomon, and the Lord loved his people Israel. So the Lord appeared to Solomon. Again, he says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. In fact, this verse itself is the closest expression in Old Testament about the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel 7, as well as the great psalm of Psalm 2 about the great king. This is what Psalm 2 said right at the beginning. It says this, He said to me, you are my son today, I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. This is one of the great psalms that all the Israelites will know because that is the introduction of the Psalms. Now Solomon revealed his love for the Lord and his law through his response. So look at how Solomon replied from verse 6 to verse 9. First of all, he acknowledged that God is kind. He acknowledges God's kindness. If you look at verse 6, that God was kind to his servant David. Now the word servant David is really a pointing back to the covenant because that is the point where God spoke and he says, tell my servant David and then he gave this great Davidic covenant. So the language that Solomon is using really is a covenantal language. And when he, God gave David this covenant, he says, your descendants will be king forever. Now, Solomon said that God was kind to his servant David because David was faithful and righteous and upright in heart. Now, this is a really strange way to call David, especially from the mouth of Solomon because Solomon knew all well that David was not that clean and so upright because he had an affair with his own mother, And he had killed the husband of Bathsheba, his mother. How can Solomon say that David was upright? Yet he could say that of David because he recognized God's kindness. He believed that the Lord God had forgiven David and given him a clean and upright heart. Because that was the prayer of David in Psalm 51, in his famous psalm, David said this to God, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So in Solomon's response, he first acknowledged that God is kind and God is the one who can forgive all sinners and make them upright again, including his father, King David. God was kind to his servant David and now he has given him a son Solomon to sit on his throne. And so here Solomon acknowledges that it is God who has given him this throne. And so Solomon's one wish now, his one wish was was to be the right kind of king. A king that could rule God's people well. Look at verse in your Bible as I read 7-9 to for us. Listen to this. I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. But who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, John Woodhouse noted in his commentary on 1 Kings that a, a better translation of a discerning heart is really a listening heart. Give me a listening heart so that I can discern what is right and wrong. And so I can be the right kind of king. So Solomon came before God with this humble heart. He knew that he was young and inexperienced. And he knew he needed that listening heart if he wants to keep what his father David assigned him. That you keep the law of Moses. He needs that listening heart rather than a proud heart to rule in obedience because proud heart is the nature of human being. The listening heart is the opposite of what Adam and Eve had because they did not choose a listening heart when God gave them everything. They chose that they want to distinguish what is right and wrong and so they ate from the fruit that God says you do not eat. Now this was the opposite of Pharaoh whose heart was hardened and he would not listen to God and would not let God's people go. This was the opposite of King Saul who lost his kingship, because he lost his listening ear. Solomon says, give me that listening heart. And that was what Solomon needed to navigate his kingship. He would face challenges. He would face complexities. What might seem great politically or culturally might bring him into ruin if he's not careful. Solomon knew he needed a discerning, a listening heart no right from wrong. What will we need if we are to give a wish? Now verse 10, it goes on. This is how the Lord replied. He was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so he gave Solomon what he asked for and everything else. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise And discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be moreover i will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as david your father did i will give you a long life now god was indeed kind as Solomon declared, everything would happen as God said for Solomon. And there will be this uphill glory that we'll see in these few weeks. in Israel has never seen before. And if Solomon chooses to walk in obedience and keep God's decrees, this will just go on and on and on. Now, dear friends, Solomon's kingly request for a discerning heart is what a chosen king needs to rule and what the people of Israel need from their king. Now we expect Solomon's kingdom will flourish as long as he walks in obedience to the Lord. Now what did the king wish for? This is it, isn't it? To have a listening heart so he can discern between right and wrong. Now if we were given a wish, what would we wish for? Now finally, having seen the complex start of Solomon's kingship and his listening and humble heart before the Lord to receive God's wisdom, we are now shown this kingdom that will flourish and we will see it more in the coming weeks as well. But today, it just gives us this grand overview of this. And the first picture was the famous court case of the dead child versus the almost dead child. You know the story this is how it goes we are told two prostitutes came before the king both women they have given a birth to a boy each. the two boys almost the same age three days apart now they had this troubling dispute one woman was holding a dead child and claiming that a child swap happened the other woman was carrying a living child and she says that is his child so here we have this dispute they couldn't agree and they come to the court before Solomon. Now, the problem is this. There are no eyewitnesses. There's no DNA test you can do. They were all alone. Two women, one dead child, one living child. Now, when I first read this court case, I really got cold sweat because I tried to imagine it. Then I got really kind of shivers. I imagine it would be extremely traumatic coming to court one woman, can you imagine carrying a dead baby and arguing your case with a dead baby in your arm and desperately trying to say that that woman with the living baby, that baby is mine. Whether it's true, if it is true, then she's holding someone else's dead baby. But one thing, the baby that is hers, why don't you put it aside? Or you, What do you do with a dead baby in your arm? Meanwhile, if you're holding a living baby, if it's yours, you'll be clinging so tight and say, it's that is mine. But can you imagine this is someone else's baby and holding on someone's baby and that baby is yours that's dead. And you're rejecting your own baby there and saying this is mine and that is yours. And this whole court case is going. I imagine how it's really like in a court case of carrying a dead baby and carrying a living baby and equally traumatic on both ends. What would you do as Solomon as you see these two mo- women there? Well, if you have never heard of this court case, what would you do? Well, Solomon's calmness filled the, the hole. But what comes next must be terrifying for everyone, including his own officials. So now you have it, Solomon's at the, at, at the, at the throne, and these two women, he says, bring me a sword, and the soldier comes with that sword, and says, king, this is it. And he looks at it, he didn't pick up the sword, and says, you slice that baby into half, Try being that soldier for a moment. You're holding a sword and suddenly, I'm not going to point to any babies here, but imagine looking at a baby and the king doesn't smile, the king doesn't laugh, he just looks at you and says, slice into half. What will you do in that court case? Well, as the man walks towards the baby, there's really no time to strategize. As you read this, you have time to think about it, but in reality, there's no time to strategize. You have these two women, the man is coming with the sword. Either of them have to respond by instinct. So as the soldier walked there, the two mothers, they will have to respond. So one started shouting, not sure exactly which one, but she shouted in verse 26, please my Lord, just, just give her the living baby, don't kill him. But the other woman, in a burst of emotion, she looked at the other woman and says, you and I, none of us get it, just cut it. It's just a reaction. It's, it's not strategized, it's not thought through." But as she shouted that out, you could imagine the whole fell into total silence when the king raised his hand. The verdict was set. As the king gave his ruling, everyone who heard this case was filled with awe of the king. Because here was a wisdom that transcends mere logic. It's not just logic that he's using. Solomon spoke as one with wisdom that could duck into the human soul for truth. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. So here was a king whose wisdom and listening heart would give justice and righteousness to God's people. And this is the prayer, the corporate prayer, the last prayer of David that we looked at two weeks ago in Psalm 72. Let me recap what the people prayed for that we looked at two weeks back. Psalm 72, the first two verses says this, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted one with justice. Well, there must be more court cases that amaze the people of Israel, but this shocking case sparked the people's all of Solomon that God is answering prayers of the Davidic king. The last verse of chapter 3 made it clear because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So, God gave wisdom to his chosen king to rule his kingdom with justice. And this court case was just the beginning. What follows in chapter 4 are the descriptions of how the whole kingdom just flourished under Solomon. Now, if you have your Bible, I just want to flip a few verses so that we can look at it together. So, if you have Bible, just open to chapter 4. I'll point us a few verses and show us what is really happening in this kingdom. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, So King Solomon ruled over all Israel and these were his chief officials. So he was surrounded by very capable chief officials. Some of them were the old faithful guards of King David. Others were chosen by Solomon. Chapter 4, verse 7, look at it. Solomon had 12 district governors over all Israel who supplied provisions for the king and the royal household. So as you look at it, he reorganized this whole kingdom with 12 districts, they are new, with capable governors, and they all provide one month each supplies to the king. Look on to verse 20. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sands on the seashore. They ate and they drank and they were happy. What do you do to be happy? And here it says, You get a good king. And here it is, the Davidic or the Abrahamic promise was fulfilled when God said to Abraham, Your descendants, you childless men, your descendants will be as numerous as the sands and the seashore. And, And it is it. That's what it feels like to live under a wise king. Look at 21. 21. King Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms as prayed for by David again back in Psalm 72. And countries were bringing tributes and were Solomon's subjects all of his life. And if you go on from 22, verse 22 to 24, it describes how extravagant was Solomon's provision. And verse 25, during Solomon's lifetime, everyone lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Now, there was again some complexity sprinkled In chapter 4, such as forced labor in verse 6, thousands of of stalls and horses during peacetime, verse 25. But the picture we have is a very, very prosperous and powerful kingdom under Solomon. And everyone was happy. Now, we're reminded that this was possible because verse 29 says this, that God gave Solomon wisdom and a very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashores. And finally, the last few verses just elaborate the extent of his wisdom that we read just now in, in our responsive reading. Beyond all the forgotten famous people that we can't pronounce, and beyond all the great nations such as Egypt, we are told Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs, some of them were in the Bible, 1,005 songs. It was the walking encyclopedia whenever he opened his mouth, and at the concluding verse 34, it tells us this was a shadow fulfillment of God's promise. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who have heard of His wisdom. Now dear friends, where, where have we journeyed in this? this short time in the morning. We actually look at how God gives wisdom to his chosen king to rule his kingdom well and how a kingdom looked like under a wise and discerning king. We're actually meant to see how much that God loves his people by providing a king like that. A discerning king who is empowered with justice and righteousness and all nations will be drawn by him. And this is really to point us forward, isn't it? To one that's greater than Solomon. And that's what we have in the New Testament because we are told in the New Testament in Matthew 12, chapter 12, verse 42, that there's one greater than Solomon that has come and it's our King Jesus. Twice we read of God speaking verbally out uh, from the sky regarding the Son. The first was when Jesus was baptized This was said in Matthew chapter 3, a voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. And the second time the voice came was during the transfiguration, where he's standing there between the prophets and the law, between Elijah and Moses. And again, God says, This is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. So Jesus, that great, chosen, perfect son and king, the one greater than Solomon, is the one that will come and rule a greater kingdom. If you want justice, you want happiness, you want to find fulfillment, you want to find satisfaction, you want to find home, go to the right king. And the Bible points us that this is the king. While Solomon gives us a glimpse of what a wise king would bring when he walked even imperfectly in God's law, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Psalms, of the Abrahamic, the Davidic covenant. But Jesus came to do everything according to God's will and he will bring his kingdom perfectly in. In fact, this is what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 6. Let me just read you what Jesus says about himself. John 6, 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And he did it perfectly. Dear and sisters, as we close, I want to ask the same question right at the start. If you had that one single wish that will be fulfilled, what would you ask for? What would you wish for? Would it be a discerning, listening heart? but well, not as the king, but as the king's people. Because just as the Lord loved his chosen king, the Lord also loved you and me. He loved us before we even know what is love. This is what it said in 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 regarding us. It says this, that we love because He first loved us. Now this is the ultimate reason perhaps for us to pray and ask that we will have a heart that can listen to God because He loved us. Because we no longer need to earn love. For Christians, we may ask for many needs and many wants in our daily prayer, but do we ask for wisdom, as James chapter 1.5 tells us, so that we can persevere, so that we can have discernment in times of trials and temptations. Would that be a wish worth praying for, to be a wise person with a discerning heart that knows right and wrong in our lives as we obey our King Jesus? For not only did the Lord love us when He gave us life, the Lord God Himself, our King, loved us by giving out His very life on the cross for us. So I may mean, the Lord give us a discerning heart to listen deeply to the words of our King Jesus because there are so many words we hear each day, but they are all of different weights. May we have the discerning heart to hear His word, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and trust that when the King comes, he will give us all His perfect eternal life and perfect eternal kingdom. What we have glimpsed here today in these two chapters are but a glimpse of the perfection when the perfect king returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for first Kings as we look at Solomon. Each day we ask you for many, many things. So we ask that you will give us a discerning heart, a listening heart, so that we can hear our Lord Jesus' words. Because His words are the one that lasts forever, and His kingdom is the one that we want to live in. So today, as we hear a word, help us that our hearts may not be hardened, but you will soften our hearts and grant us a heart that can hear your word. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Okay, uh, thank you, Pastor Andrew, for um, sharing with us God's word. Um, we have some time for reflection questions So, it's in response to the sermon that we just heard. We have two questions um, and I will read them uh, for those who are online and cannot see the questions. Okay, the questions are, what do we learn from Solomon's response, prayer to God? The second question is, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God